0: Zechariah 14 describes a day of both judgment and rescuing. Darkness and light. The 14th chapter details what happens when the Lord physically returns and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. His coming is multifaceted and it ushers in white-hot just punishment as well as the beginning of a new glorious kingdom. Today, we explore the Lord's return to earth by examining Zechariah chapter 14 on the Dove podcast. You are listening to The Tove Podcast. Welcome to The Tove Podcast. My name's Levi Hazen. I have the privilege of being your host for today as we walk through the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. The TOF Podcast is a ministry of Life in Messiah International. For over 134 years, Life in Messiah staff have been passionately sharing the good news of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, with Jewish people around the globe. You can learn more about the work that God's doing through our staff and even discover ways to partner by visiting us on the web at lifeinmessiah.org. Well, the book of Zechariah is one of my favorite books. It is very prophetic in nature. The inhabitants of Judah who had just returned from the Babylonian exile are the primary recipients of this book. These folks returning from Babylon were traumatized, to say the least. Many of them had experienced the horrors of the Babylonian invasion. Certainly, they had lost parents, grandparents, friends, loved ones. Zechariah wrote this work to the children of Israel, to these inhabitants who had just returned from Babylon in the early 5th century B.C. The name Zechariah in Hebrew means the Lord remembers. He was both a prophet and a priest. The theme of Zechariah, according to the Moody Bible Commentary, is redemption and restoration, and particularly concerning Israel. This redemption and restoration ultimately will come about through the Messianic king, and we'll talk about that Messianic king today. So, why write to the children of Israel that have returned from Babylon about a future Messianic king? Well, ultimately, as we'll see, because it is the Messianic king that the children of Israel are to set their eyes on. It is the Messianic king who will bring true deliverance, true restoration. And Zechariah, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, wanted to encourage spiritual renewal amongst this group of people. In specifically the faithful remnant. And we've talked about the faithful remnant before on the Tove podcast. The faithful remnant uh, really introduced to us in the story of Elijah when he fled from Jezebel and God told him, I've got 7,000 for myself who have not bowed to knee to Baal. This faithful remnant continues and even is mentioned by Paul in the New Testament. And Paul says there's a remnant even today according to God's grace. So Zechariah wants to inspire confidence in the faithful remnant by, again, revealing the messianic hope and God's ultimate plan for Israel, which is a plan that involves restoration on a spiritual and physical level. Now, Zechariah's writing here contains many prophecies, and we're not going to be able to do a survey of the whole book today. We're just going to concentrate on chapter 14, which is the last chapter. But these prophecies are what's called post-exilic. What that means is they take place after the exile of the children of Israel. And they take place about 16 years after the Jewish people started to return from Babylon. So people are coming back to a land after they've been gone for a generation, and they're finding things like their houses had been destroyed and likely lived in by others. They're finding the temple... In ruins. In fact, the Moody Bible Commentary does a wonderful job of setting us up for the background to the book of Zechariah. It says this I quote At the opening of Zechariah's book, Judah was experiencing political peace, but national despair. The temple was still not built, the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins, and the people were facing adversity, including both poverty and drought. By the time the book was compiled in the early fifth century BC, the Persian Empire was fading and the Greek Empire was ascendant, causing uneasiness among the returned captives End quote." So that just gives you a small picture of what was happening here when Zechariah was writing and then compiling and delivering his letter, his works, to the children of Israel as they returned from Babylon. So, let's begin by opening your Bible to Zechariah chapter 14, which I am labeling the Lord's return and reign. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 and 2 say the following, A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder, the you're here referring to Jerusalem, will be divided in your presence. Verse 2, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. The city will be captured, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be removed from the city. Now, verses 1 and 2 here are describing a future day when Jerusalem will be decimated by hostile, anti-Semitic, Gentile nations. The timing for this battle, I believe, is at the end of the tribulation period— This is describing the battle, oftentimes referred to as the Battle of Armageddon. Essentially, the Antichrist will muster his armies from around the world. They will gather together in the Jezreel Valley, what's known today as the Breadbasket of Israel. That is the Valley of Megiddo. That's where they will muster. And they will come up to Jerusalem to do battle against Jerusalem. Now, it appears, based on several other passages— that the Battle of Armageddon is probably a battle that doesn't just take place in Jerusalem, but rather stretches out miles and miles and miles long. It's probably going to cover a large portion of territory. But either way, these nations come up against Jerusalem to do battle against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That brings us to verse 3. It says, Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations, as he fights on a day of battle. Isn't that fascinating? Here, the Lord takes on the challenge of fighting these anti-Semitic nations who have come up against Jerusalem. We also see a reference to this particular battle in Isaiah chapter 31, verses 4 and 5. There, writing a couple hundred years before Zechariah, Isaiah says the following, For this is what the Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey when a band of shepherds is called out against it and is not terrified by their shouting or subdued by their noise, so the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like hovering birds, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. By protecting it, he will rescue it. By sparing it, he will deliver it. Wow, isn't that fascinating? Isaiah, writing a couple hundred years before Zechariah, describes the exact same battle, and in both passages, the Lord himself is the deliverer. The Lord himself is the protector. He is the rescuer. Because he is not okay with anti-Semitic hordes coming against his favored people. He's not okay with anti-Semitic hordes coming against the apple of his eye. They will not succeed as they set out to destroy Jerusalem, which Jesus describes as the city of the great king. Despite Jerusalem's antagonism toward the Messiah of Israel today, they remain God's chosen city. We see that over and over again throughout the prophets that it is there, on Jerusalem, in its place, where God will establish the temple once again in the Messianic kingdom. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're still in verse 3 of Zechariah 14, and again, verse 3 says, The Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. Verse 4 gives us the physical return of the Lord of hosts. Now, when we talk about the Lord's coming, when we say Jesus is coming, what we're really talking about here is a multifaceted event. Because the Lord's coming sometimes refers to the event of the rapture. The event of the rapture is a time when Jesus will descend in the clouds, and believers will be caught up—that's the word raptured—will be caught up in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. However, the rapture event is clearly distinct from the revelation event, which we read about here in Zechariah, because here— what we see is that the Lord is descending, not just remaining in the clouds, but he's setting his feet on the Mount of Olives. That's not something that happens at the rapture event. It says, On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley, so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. Israel's deliverer, Will set foot on the same mountain he ascended from in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 11. It's exactly what happened when Jesus completed his earthly ministry after he was resurrected. People were looking on and he ascended into the clouds right in their sight. By God's divine decree, he will also descend when he returns right to that site. And when the Lord sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah tells us in verse 4 that the mountain is going to miraculously split in two. This is going to create a way of escape for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is just one of the ways that the Lord is that rescuer, is that deliverer of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The mountain splits in two, creating a valley so that people can leave the advancing armies. We also see a reference to this in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, where it says the following, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is the Word of God. Of course, the figure that John is referring to here is the Lord Jesus himself. Verse 14, the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, Revelation 19 is describing the exact same battle that Zechariah is describing. And we also see that Isaiah describes this exact same battle, too. In Isaiah chapter 63, Isaiah sees a vision of this future battle and the coming deliverer. He writes this, beginning in verse 1. Who is this coming from Edom in crimson-stained garments from Basra?" This one who is splendid in his apparel, rising up proudly in his might. And then the Lord speaks. It is I, proclaiming vindication, powerful to save. Now we read in the book of Revelation that this figure, this messianic king, had trodden down the winepress. And look at Isaiah's question here in verse 2. Why are your clothes red and your garments like one who treads a winepress? Verse 3, the Messianic king gives a response. I trampled the winepress alone, and no one from the nations was with me. I trampled them in my anger and ground them underfoot in my fury. Their blood spattered my garments, and all my clothes were stained. For I planned the day of vengeance, and the year of my redemption came. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I was amazed that no one assisted. So my arm accomplished victory for me, and my wrath assisted me. I crushed nations in my anger, I made them drunk with my wrath, and poured out their blood on the ground. That's Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 through 6, describing this exact same event that is found in the book of Zechariah chapter 14, as well as the book of Revelation. Finally, that brings us to verse 5 in chapter 14, it says this You will flee by my mountain valley, for the valley of the mountains will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Now, as we mentioned, what we see here is that the residents of the city who remain in Jerusalem will flee to safety, just as they did on a previous occasion. Now, the phrase and all the holy ones with him. Who is it that's returning with the messianic king here? Well, this could refer to either angels or to raptured believers that return with the Lord during this battle. Well, we've already covered some amazing aspects of the Lord's return thus far just by looking at the first few verses of Zechariah 14. When we come back we're going to look at the major changes that will happen topographically to Jerusalem and the surrounding regions at the Lord's return. We'll be right back on the Tove Podcast. Since 1887, life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to his people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Welcome back to the TOE Podcast. We are taking a deep dive... Into Zechariah chapter 14 today, talking about the multifaceted event of the Lord's return and what a glorious event it is going to be. But that event also includes God's wrath, it includes his judgment. And so we want to make sure that we are in a right relationship with God so that we are not experiencing his judgment, so that we are not experiencing his wrath. Rather, we can be assured that when we take our final breath, We will be with him forever. We have salvation. Of course, the best way to do that is simply by believing in the Messiah of Israel, believing that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he was crucified, and after three days was raised from the grave, proving himself as God's son, proving himself as the one who fulfills the Hebrew scriptures and all the prophets and writings, were spoken about him. By the way, we're talking about the multifaceted event of the Lord's return, and I believe that that also includes the rapture. Of course, the rapture occurs, and then sometime after that, we have the signing of a seven year covenant with the Antichrist and Israel. And then at the end of that seven year period, oftentimes known as the tribulation period, is when the Lord physically descends to earth and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. But if you want to learn more about the rapture, right now Life and Messiah is offering a free ebook Absolutely free. All you have to do is go to lifeandmessiah.org and you'll see on our homepage there that there is a logo for Moody Radio. Click on that logo for Moody Radio. We have a wonderful partnership with the Land in the Book, uh, Charlie Dyer's radio program. And after you click on that Moody Radio logo you'll be taken to a page where you can get your free copy of my ebook called The Rapture, Paul's Hope and Comfort. And what we do there in that free ebook is we take a deep dive into 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5, which is one of the major passages that talk about the event of the rapture. That is yours. Feel free to download it, to study it, To be edified by it or to disagree with it, it's completely up to you, but we just like to offer you that free resource for your edification. Now we are ready for Zechariah chapter fourteen, verses six through eight here on the Tove Podcast. It says this starting in verse six. On that day there will be no light. The sunlight and the moonlight will diminish. It'll be a day known only to Yahweh, without day or night, but there will be light at the evening. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it toward the eastern sea, and the other half toward the western sea, in summer and winter alike. Fascinating. We see here there are going to be major changes that take place in and around Jerusalem when the Lord returns. There'll be geographic and cosmic-level changes. These will take place primarily in and around jerusalem there are a plethora of other passages that describe the same topographical change when the lord returns you can read for example isaiah chapter 13 verses 9 through 10 ezekiel 47 8 through 12 joel 2 31 amos 5 18 matthew chapter 24 or revelation chapter 6 among many other passages Now, this brings us to verse 9, and what we see here is that Zechariah is transitioning from the event of the Lord's return to what he's going to introduce after he wins this battle against the nations. And what he's going to introduce is the Messianic kingdom. This is the king's kingdom. This is the 1,000-year kingdom that's talked about in Revelation chapter 20. This is the kingdom that all the prophets refer to when they talk about a future kingdom. It says this in verse 9, On that day Yahweh will become king over all the earth. Yahweh alone and his name alone. Fascinating. What we have there is, again, the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. God promises to reign over all the earth. However, based on other passages, we know that there will be a kingdom of Israel in the Messianic kingdom. The kingdom of Israel will have borders, as any country has borders. Those are described in multiple passages throughout the Bible, and probably the most well-known passage would be Genesis chapter 15, where God promises through a blood covenant, Abraham and his descendants that they would indeed be given the land. In that passage, God gives Abraham the borders of the land. The borders, by the way, have never been fulfilled in their entirety And they certainly have not been fulfilled eternally. So we await a future fulfillment of these borders. And these borders will be fulfilled by Israel in the Messianic kingdom. When Jesus is reigning from the throne in Jerusalem, when a fourth temple is rebuilt, a sacrificial system is reintroduced, and it is a wonderful period of harmony, not only between mankind, but between mankind and animals as well. Now, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 14 are going to give us more of the topographical changes that take place. Verses 10 and 11 say the following. All the land from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, will be changed into a plain. But Jerusalem will be raised up and will remain on its site from the Benjamin Gate to the place of the Fish Gate, to the Corner Gate, from the Tower of Hananel to the Royal Wine Presses. People will live there, And never again will there be a curse of complete destruction. So Jerusalem will dwell in security. Now that brings us to verses 12 to 15. And Zechariah kind of circles back around here to all those nations that have come up against Jerusalem to do battle. Verses 12 through 15 say the following. This will be the plague the Lord strikes all the peoples with who have warred against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, a great panic from the Lord will be among them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of one will be raised against the other. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of the surrounding nations will be collected—gold, silver, clothing in great abundance— The same plague as the previous one will strike the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and all the animals that are in those camps. So, what we see here is that God is going to punish the enemies of Israel with a terrible plague. And then all of their wealth will be transferred to Jerusalem. And what we see next is that God is going to require worship at this new temple in Jerusalem from all the nations that exist on the face of the earth. It says this, beginning in verse 16, Then all the survivors from the nations that came up against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Festival of Booths. Now, the Festival of Booths is also known as Sukkot, and it is a fall festival whereby the Israelites were commanded to build little tents, essentially, little booths, little huts. And why do that? Well, the Lord said that that commemorates His provision for the Israelites during their 40 years of a wandering in the desert. That is the festival of booths, and apparently, if you're around in the Messianic kingdom, and if you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, you've punched your ticket to that Messianic kingdom. Well, guess what? Year after year, You and the nations that are surrounding will go up to Jerusalem to celebrate this important festival. Verse 17 tells us what happens if someone decides not to celebrate it. Should any of the families of the earth not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, rain will not fall on them. Verse 18, and if the people of Egypt do not go up and enter, then rain will not fall on them. This will be the plague the Lord inflicts on those nations who do not go up to celebrate the festival of booths. So, pretty serious stuff there. God is going to reinstitute the temple. God is going to reinstitute Jerusalem as the city of the world, the capital city. And he's going to reinstitute Sukkot, not just for the Jewish people, but for absolutely everybody, which I find fascinating. Now, just a quick point here. I believe there is a great distinction between the 1,000-year millennial kingdom and eternity future, as described, for example, in Revelation chapter 22. And I think we see that distinction very clearly here in Zechariah 14. Notice that Jesus is reigning on earth. Notice that there are some terrible things that can happen to people during this time period. Therefore... It cannot be eternity future, where pain is gone, where crying is gone, where disease is gone. Rather, this must be a separate period of time, and that separate period of time will include a refusal to worship, for example. It could include drought, because God says that if anybody from those nations does not come up to celebrate Sukkot, no rain is going to fall on them. And therefore, it could include rebellion. It's my belief that when we get to eternity future, we don't have any more rebellion. It's non-existent. The sin nature has been wiped away. But we see rebellion here in this period of time that Zechariah is describing. In my opinion, the best way to make sense of this is to simply read the Bible in its normal, plain sense. The Bible talks about a period of time where Jesus is reigning on earth— Revelation 20 tells us that period of time is the Messianic kingdom. It is 1,000 years in length. But that brings us to God's holiness, because His holiness at this point in time will be realized in a future Jerusalem that is in a right relationship with God. Verses 20 and 21 say the following, On that day, the words holy to the Lord will be on the bells of the horses. The pots in the house of the Lord, which is the temple, will be like the sprinkling basins before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices will come and take some of the pots to cook in. And on that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. And what we see there is that God's holiness will be realized in Jerusalem. How did Paul say it? In Romans chapter 11, Paul said, All Israel will be saved. The Moody Bible Commentary gives us the following summary, As Israel looked at their circumstances with despair, frustrated by their failure to rebuild the temple, distraught at their own disobedience to the Torah, and despondent with their grinding poverty and drought, the book of Zechariah brought hope that God would once more renew his people and remake Jerusalem. Thus, it would motivate them to trust and obey God until that day should come. The same is true for contemporary readers. Frustrated by failure, distraught at disobedience, despondent with difficulties. The book brings hope for the future and motivates trust and obedience today, especially in the last climactic burden. But throughout, the book reminds readers that the Messianic king the Lord Jesus will come again and establish a righteous kingdom for all the earth, with Jerusalem at its center. Then the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and His Messiah, and He will reign forever and ever. By the way, are you a lover of Bible prophecy? Or perhaps you just want to know more about Bible prophecy because it's a crucial part of God's Word. Life in Messiah is partnering with local churches to bring two prophecy conferences to you. We desire that people would be edified by the clear, plain teaching of God's word, especially concerning Israel and the Jewish people. The first prophecy conference will take place in Rock Island, Illinois at Edgewood Baptist Church. It will be September 16th through the 18th. Joining us at that conference will be Dr. Michael Rydelnick, myself, and other wonderful speakers. The second conference will take place on September 30th through October 1st. It'll take place at Village Church in Dyer, Indiana. Dr. Michael Rydelnick will join us for that conference, as well as myself and local pastor Steve Miller. We'd love for you to attend one or both of these conferences. More information will be forthcoming on Life in Messiah's website at lifeinmessiah.org. Well, if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the Tove Podcast, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or by visiting Life and Messiah's website and clicking on the Tove Podcast tab. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, Shalom.